The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time now to open God's Word together. Let me invite you to open up to the book of Exodus and chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we're in our second week of our fall sermon series, Reverence and All the Beauty of Christian Worship. Last week we were looking at the most elementary principles of the the physical gathering of the church body gathered together. Today we are looking at this whole question of Sunday, often called the Lord's Day, even perhaps the Christian Sabbath. And so you're turning to Exodus 20, which is the location of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. And uh, you want to make sure that you've got your Bible open there in Exodus chapter 20. And we did spend a couple of years ago a great deal of time working through the Ten Commandments. And so we're not exactly uh, returning per se to the individual command to Christian believers to obey this, but rather asking the question, what does, what does the corporate gathering of the body of Christ have to do with the particular day of the week and why does it matter so much? And uh, personally, for me, uh, I think of this not just uh, in, in relationship to uh, our physical meeting here in the church, but I confess to you that there is no day that I crave Chick-fil-A more than the day I can't have it, right? Sunday, right? Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. And at one moment, I am blessedly thankful for the honoring of the Lord's Day by a business and simultaneously disgruntled in my stomach, right, at the same time. So I confess to having a divided heart on this whole question of Sunday. And yet, here you are, and here we are together on this day that has been called out among other days, and we want to think through the principles of uh, why, and why does it matter, and what's the big deal, and why do we call it the Lord's Day, and what is this Sabbath business all about? Uh, Because as we think about the the beauty of the Christian church gathered together for worship, there is something about this day set apart from other days that we want to honor in our hearts uh, and even perhaps begin to honor even more in our lives. And uh, these are issues that that bear significant reflection. And for the sake of the church, we want to be thoughtful about what is it about this day and what is it supposed to be doing in, in your life individually, but also corporately together as, as God's people, the difference that it's supposed to be making? So if you've got your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 20, before we read God's word, let's pray together and hear what God would say to us. Father, with your word open before us, we're first of all thankful that, that we have a Bible. Lord, we know that there are people in regions of the world today who do not have the scriptures and who even do not have the scriptures perhaps in their own language. And so how fortunate we are that not only do we have a Bible in English, but that we have many Bibles to which we can reach to. And so we thank you for the gift of the scriptures. And as we turn to it, Lord, we pray that with your spirit, you would open our hearts and minds, that you would give to us the truth of the scriptures so that we might be a more faithful people. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God from Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, particularly the Fourth Commandment, beginning in verse 8. This is the word of God. Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And so let's keep our Bibles open and uh, we may perhaps be doing a little bit of flipping around as well, so you'll want to have your Bible there, and if you've got your outline from your bulletin, it'll help you as we navigate this whole issue of Sunday, uh, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. And I can acknowledge to you that there are so many questions that perhaps rise to the top when we start to evaluate this, and uh, maybe we'll touch on them. Uh, perhaps you might have a question that is not addressed in any sense, and if you would like to think about that further. We'd love to do that, but right now we want to think about this scenario. It's Sunday morning. You've woken up to come to church. Uh, you're, you're ready to go. You come. The doors are locked. No one is here. Church is empty. And you say to yourself, uh, do I have the right day? Now, maybe you've done that on a Saturday thinking it was Sunday. I'm not sure. But uh, I recently heard about a, a church in Atlanta who on the last weekend of August and the first weekend in September, for the second year in a row now, have canceled church. And they called it the church taking a, a Sabbath break. A Sabbath from the Sabbath. Now, I'm curious if that gets to what we think the Lord has made the Sabbath for, or if that might be perhaps the most contradictory thing about the Sabbath I've ever heard in my entire life. A, 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 a rest from the rest, a break from church. Now, uh, maybe, maybe you, for whatever reason, you know, aren't in church. But corporately, on a corporate level, the church canceling church on the principle of Sabbath. Now... I think that that is an interesting concept, but as we work through the scriptures, I think it becomes clear that that, that drastically misses the point. You know, what is the point of Sunday? What is it for? And why do we call it Sabbath, Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day? Now, I don't know about you, but I did not grow up calling Sunday the Lord's Day. That's, that's a vocabulary that, that was worked into me, uh, honestly, only about seven or eight years ago calling Sunday the Lord's Day, but it's, a, it's an intentional form of almost protest, if you like, to recognize this day for what it was intended to be. Now, as you're looking at the text, uh, what we're going to be seeing is three elements of the Sabbath, but first, let's just look briefly at the command itself in Exodus chapter 20. You may be interested to know that of the Ten Commandments, there are only two that are positively stated in terms of do this rather than don't do this. The Fourth and Fifth Commandment are the only positively asserted commandments. Now that's not to say that the other commandments are bad commandments. It is to say that they begin with a do not rather than a positive assertion. The Fourth Commandment, beginning in verse 8, begins with remember. 
remember the Sabbath day. Now again, I don't know if Sabbath is part of your regular vocabulary or not, but the word Sabbath means literally stop or stoppage or cessation, quitting. It could be translated quite literally Sabbath day as the stopping day. The stopping day. Now again, uh, perhaps you grew up in a time when the Sabbath was a, a part of your culture and uh, stores were not open or there are things that you could and couldn't do and the Sabbath was a little bit more a part of a, a regulated life of your week or maybe your concept of the Sabbath itself is, just seems to be relegated to the Old Testament. You know, that's what they did then and that's not really uh, relevant to us here today. But then we're asking the question still, so what is Sunday for anyway? All those things we're bringing into the fourth commandment here in verses 8 through 10. And we want to say three things about the Sabbath, particularly as it relates to the church, as it gathers together corporately for worship on Sunday. What is this whole business about? And we want to say three things. And the first thing is important to assert, first of all, that the Sabbath is a command to obey. The Sabbath is a command to obey is the first thing. We want to see four aspects of the Sabbath itself because when you're looking in the book of Exodus, uh, you, you may think that the Old Testament here in Exodus and the Ten Commandments is the, the first time that this comes to being. But actually Moses, who writes this book, is not, uh, not the first one to come up with this. Actually, God himself created this concept of the Sabbath. If you want to go back in your mind to the opening chapters of Genesis or even turn back there, uh, what you'll find is that God created a Sabbath by resting after he created everything else. Now, whether or not you've given much thought to that, I, I, want, to, I want to stop for a moment and really consider the significance of this reality that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it says that after God created the heavens and the earth... He rested. Okay, now, you want to take a nap after a couple hours of yard work, right? God creates the heavens and the earth out of nothing and then rests. And that word, he rests, is the same word for Sabbath, actually. He, he ceased. He stopped the work of creation. Literally, he Sabbathed on that day and right after that we're told that he marks this day as distinct from the rest one in seven to be considered holy a day to rest now some of you uh, may perhaps use a, a teaching strategy where you say uh, do as I say but not as I do All right you say that to kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews uh, don't 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 do what I do but do what I say our actions sometimes contradict our words, and so we get self-conscious and say that to, to kids, grandkids, whatever. But I want you to know that there is no contradiction with God. God has authority to both say, do as I say, and do as I do. And the command to Sabbath is both of those things. God says, do as I say, as he commands a rest. But he also says, do as I do, because God himself rests in the book of Genesis. God rests after six days of creating the world out of nothing. Why? Why do you think God rests? Is he tired? 
Has he, has he expended some amount of energy that is making him less than what he would be if he would but pause and rest? No, the book of Isaiah says he never grows tired or weary. God rests to teach us a lesson. Because you and I are wired to think that we can run all the time and do and do and do and accomplish without pausing to rest. And God instructs his people to rest not because he needs a day off, but very plainly because you and I do need a day off. So don't miss the fact that the Sabbath is created by God at creation itself to bless you. And it is traced all the way back in the early parts of Genesis. So then it's, it's there in creation. But secondly, it's also sealed by the law, which is what we're looking at in Exodus chapter 20. And notice how in the text there's actually the most detail of this commandment than all the rest because the Sabbath was a blend of both uh, practical labor law and spiritual practice. Labor law and spiritual practice in the sense that it had protection for workers and the symbolic participation of the way they rest with God by resting from their work. In Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath commandment is addressed to people who have uh, animals and servants and people working for them that, that is required of the master to give the servant a day off, to give them this needed rest. So there's a, a very practical orientation to that, a, an actual resting, but the spiritual element of that is that if you were to look back in Exodus chapter 19 in the very first part of Exodus chapter 20, this follows after God delivers Israel from Egypt when they were slaves. And what would be better news to a slave than the opportunity to have a break? Okay, submission and work were literally beaten into Israel while they were in Egypt. And here comes redemption out of Egypt that comes with a promise of a day out of seven where there will be no work after you have for tirelessly generations labored in slavery. Here is a day where you can rest physically but also remember that you were delivered from the bondage of your slavery. It's both physical and spiritual. But it is a very literal day to rest out of this tender mercy that God gives to his people to rest from their earthly labors. Now the temptation is to say, well, that's Old Testament, right? I mean, that belongs in the, the first two-thirds of the Bible, and so it doesn't apply to us anymore because we live after Jesus and after the New Testament. But as we go into the New Testament, we see that the Sabbath is affirmed by Jesus as a continuing moral law of God that still remains intact. Jesus, we're told in Mark chapter 2, is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, in Mark 2, 23, it says that the Sabbath was made for man, that God has given the Sabbath to humanity as a blessing. And we want to pause here, though, because this is usually where people get off into all sorts of tangents. And they say, well, can I do this or that on Sunday? And what's Sunday for? And maybe, maybe that thought isn't anywhere near uh, your consideration, but usually when people want to start saying, okay, then, well, what, what am I allowed to do or not allowed to do? Because in Jesus' time, what ruled the day was a very legalistic spirit that monitored your activity and watched to make sure you didn't break or violate the Sabbath. I mean, that's what the Pharisees were famous for doing. It was considered uh, too much labor if you walked more than 3,000 steps on the Sabbath. And so they would literally follow you around and count. And so long as you didn't take your 3,000 and first step, you were fine. 
But if you did, you were a lawbreaker. In fact, my favorite ridiculous illustration from this, and remember, uh, the the religion had been really co-opted by the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. They would say that if you're going to eat a radish and if you want to dip it in salt, there was only so much time you were allowed to keep it dipped in the salt because if you kept it in the salt too long, the radish would pickle and you'd be pickling and pickling is work and therefore sinning. Okay? So when the Pharisees intersect Jesus, who heals people on the Sabbath, and who allows his disciples to pluck grain from fields on the Sabbath, and they decry Jesus, saying you're a sinner and your disciples are working on the Sabbath, Jesus says, look, you you missed the point of what this Sabbath thing is for. The Sabbath is not a burden, it's a blessing. It was given to man to, to give them rest and to bless you and help you, not to be a burden. Okay, so if the way you think about Sabbath and the Lord's Day is a bunch of questions, can I do this or can I not do that, you fundamentally miss the point. In fact, if we find ourselves asking the question, can I do this on Sunday, it's probably not a question of how you use your Sunday, but probably how you misuse the other six days of the week. Nonetheless, Jesus affirms the fact that the Sabbath is still a reality for Christians. The Sabbath is a continuing element of the Christian life. It's affirmed by Jesus, and finally it's repeated by the apostles when we find them in Acts chapter 2 and 20, gathering on the first day of the week as calling it the Lord's Day. From the Old Testament, the, the, the day used to be Saturday was the Sabbath, but now that Jesus has been resurrected, there is a transfer of calendar to recognize that the day of resurrection is the day of rest, the day of gathering, the day of worship that we call the Lord's Day. And that, that vocabulary is necessary to work into a sense of ownership in the sense that this day is his, it's not mine. Because we are, we are people who, who so want for ourselves and to claim and to own, but we recognize Sunday as the Lord's day and the apostles repeat this command as well. Meeting together on Sundays to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. And so do not mistake the fact that the Lord's day is a command. It is a command. We should not say that with any sense of shame whatsoever, but it's not just a command. Secondly, it's a blessing to enjoy. Again, in Exodus chapter 20, where it starts off, remember. The remembrance is not a burdensome remembrance. It's a blessed remembrance because we are told that God blessed the Sabbath day. At the end of verse 11, it says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And what that means is that God has infused within this day blessings to be enjoyed by his people. That we are not to think of Sunday as a burden, but as a blessing. And what are the blessings that are promised to you on Sunday? This is super practical. What are some of the blessings that are promised to the people of God on Sunday? Well, I was starting to come up with a list, and then I found a much better list than what I was creating. And so listen to one of a a, a Puritan minister from several centuries ago. Listen to what he says about what blessings are to be found to the people of God on the Lord's Day. What is this going to do for you? He says this, The people of God enjoy God's nearness to his people. A knowledge of the day of salvation, fellowship with the saints and fellow Christians, homes in which parents worship with children, read the Bible, talk together about issues of our day, 
52 days per year, one entire year out of every seven. Churches that are full of people seeking to praise God and to find avenues of service to the Lord. Nations whose thought and moral fiber are lifted towards heavenly and godly standards. The Word of God abundantly studied. Prayer abundantly multiplied. Spiritual refreshment, joy, and progress in the kingdom. What's this day for? What's it going to do for you? What does it provide for you in terms of blessing? All those things and probably even more. So how is, how is your faith nourished and encouraged and built up in the Lord's day among God's people? Think about the people around you. Think about the people that you have known throughout your life, perhaps in this church or in other churches, irrespective of what church you go to, but there are blessings to be enjoyed. Think about, think about your friends and your family and the saints of old that you have known that you call to mind and encourage you and propel you forward. Think about the children as they sit up here in front, as, as you have this sense of a coming generation and you have this, this yearning in your heart for them to, to share the faith that you have. It is all this sense of blessing of the people of God gathered together that materializes itself when we look each other in the eye. When we say together after the call to worship, He is our God and we are His people. There is something declarative about that reality that is so important for you as a Christian. In fact, you can't live your Christian life without it. The one another's in gathering together. We need this pattern. Now, right, sometimes this is restricted, right? People ask me all the time about canceling church services and, you know, wintertime and stuff like that. And the session talks about our practice and our policy. We want you to know to be safe and all the rest. And actually, I've got a friend right now on the East Coast who canceled his church service, but he's giving a sermon via Facebook Live so people can tune in even though they can't come together, right? Because uh, if a church get, service gets canceled, it doesn't suddenly mean that this day ceases to be the Lord's Day. But this is, there's blessing invested in this. In fact... Uh, how many of you have come back from vacation tired? Right? You go on vacation to, to, to get away and to rest, and you come back from vacation more tired than you were than when you left. And I do this too, right? You know, wore out. Now, this should, this should start to signify something to us spiritually, perhaps. Okay? Now, I'll be the first one to admit, right? Like, I, want, I like going to the mountains, and I like tiki drinks on the beach as much as anybody, right? But when I come back from that and I'm still tired, it says to me, what? These things don't restore my soul. Right? They do not restore my soul. It might give me rest, but not in the way that Jesus means when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me and I'll give you rest. Right? Your favorite vacation spot will not do for you what regular Lord's Day worship attendance will. It won't. In fact, it can't. It's not designed to. To restore your soul. Now, maybe you're a person who says, you know, especially I hear this from uh, young parents a lot too. You know, if I could just have a day, I need a day. <laughs> These kids need to give me a day, right? Or some people say, I need an hour. Give me an hour. I just need that. You, you may need that. In fact, you might really need it. But that is a symptom of a deeper need that our souls are inclined to try to drink from wells that are not deep enough to satisfy us to the extent that our souls become parched and dried up and we need to be refreshed. And God has given the Lord's Day to be the refreshment to the soul that we so desperately crave. And it is important 
uh, to be present, right? This is, this is not a lecture on church attendance. It is an understanding of what God has invested this day for. Our families need to understand this. We need to have a consciousness about the Sabbath to be countercultural. When everything wants to press on your schedule and demand from you your time and demand your attention and demand all these things from you, Right? The oppressive tyranny of productivity that's constantly saying to you, do, do, do. The Sabbath is like a protest that says no. No. And maybe that's just what needs to be said to all the things that demand our time and attention and schedules. No. Talk to your spouse, talk to your family, talk with your friends. How can we honor the Lord's Day more? Not based on a desire to, you know, legalistic tendencies of have to, but God has invested this day with blessings, and how can we enjoy them more? Blessing to enjoy. Finally, the Sabbath is a foretaste to anticipate. A foretaste to anticipate. If you flip ahead to the book of Revelation to the very end in chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, what you'll find there is a glimpse into the foretaste that we honor now. You know, when I was in junior high school, I was involved in uh, drama clubs. I did the sound technician for for some of that stuff. And, you know, you have dress rehearsals to practice that, that we prepare for and anticipate what will be one day that is not presently yet. And some people have referred to the, the Lord's Day as just that. A dress rehearsal of sorts, an anticipatory foretaste of what is yet to come that is not here yet. That is to say that you, as a Christian believer, are redeemed in Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven and you've been made righteous and he's given you new life and you have all of these things that you enjoy here and now. But there's another sense in which you're compelled in your soul to realize that that things are not now what they will be one day in eternity. And we live between that tension, the now and the not yet. But the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 says there remains a Sabbath rest. And here in Revelation verse 5, we get a glimpse into what is still yet to come. Appearing into the glories of the worship of heaven. Revelation chapter 5 says in verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When you, by faith, sit in your pew or stand in your pew to pray, to sing, to express the faith of your heart, you are joining together in a worship reality that is already happening. You're adding your voice to the multitude of heavenly voices praising Jesus Christ and and adding your voice saying, to Him I give my trust as well. You cannot fathom the perfections of that day. When you won't be distracted, right? when you won't be thinking about your shopping list that you've got to get to after church, when you're not tempted to you know, check the watch. Just 
for a moment consider the infinite perfections of the worship of the new heavens and new earth when you will see Jesus Christ face to face in the perfections of sinless worship and what will be that day. And loved ones, the Lord's day is a foretaste of that reality that heaven is never closer to earth than on Sunday when God's people are together. There is a proximity and a nearness of the Lord Jesus, a sweetness of fellowship that we may enjoy when And in that time, we are with God's people and singing his praises and being nourished and encouraged. Because there's a week ahead of you that you got to face, and there's a week behind you that you walk through already. And God's given us this pattern of one in seven to say, you need this. You need this. And in his kindness, he's given it to us. And then multiplied the significance by saying, Gather together to remember that your Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and one day you will be as well to prepare for the glories of the worship of the church that's still yet to come. So let me encourage you to to build into even very practically your vocabulary to declare this the Lord's Day. To mark it in your heart with obedience and in your practice in some way. I'm not going to count your steps, and don't you realize that I don't take attendance up here? But this is a spiritual issue for the heart and good for the soul. So, loved ones, let us honor the Lord's day as we worship our God together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures and how they teach us. Lord, there's so many practical things here that we need to know to live faithfully. And so, regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, whether through encouragement or discouragement, Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we are, that you would speak the truth of the gospel to our hearts, that Christ has surely died for our sins and raised to give us new life, and so that we might find our lives with him. Help us to honor him, especially today, and give us the grace to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.